Well, good morning, Vintage. How are you today? Hey, it's great to see everyone here. Is there something going on today I need to know about? Uh, a little something happening later on today. Hey, uh, I know you heard it from Alexis, but if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Matt. I'm one of the local elders here at the Heights location, and I just want to say welcome. Thanks for joining us today. We are honored to have you here. I'll be in the guest suite right after service. Would love the chance to meet you and connect with you if you're new here. Join me out there. We've got a gift to put in your hands. Also, I want to emphasize Beast Feast coming up this Saturday. You're not going to want to miss this. Hey, I will be there with my family, Pastor Stephen. His family will be there. It's going to be incredible. Invite somebody. They might say no to coming to church. It's highly unlikely they'll say no to a day with a whole bunch of meat available. So bring them to church, all right? It's going to be awesome. You've got time still to get tickets. We'd love to see you there. Let's pack this place out and reach our community for Christ. Well, I am honored that Pastor Stephen would ask me to fill in today. Pastor Stephen and Kyla are on a much-needed and well-deserved vacation. And so I, before we go any further, I just want to honor our pastor and his wife. Let's say a quick prayer for them. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the vision that you have put in Pastor Stephen and Kyla for the local church that is vintage to reach our community for God. I pray that you would keep them safe in their travels as they come back this week. I pray that you would rest them, rejuvenate them, and prepare them for what is next. We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, because he's letting me fill in today, I can promise you two things. Number one, you're going to get out on time. There's a 0% chance I'm going over. And number two, the Chiefs are going to win tonight. So, all right, here we go. Ah. There's very few dissenters. The last service when I said that, the fire alarm went off. And so I'm holding my breath. I changed the tune and I rooted for the Niners the second half of the last message. So, hey, we are in week three of our Reframe series. We're pursuing a biblical approach to health and wellness. We're looking for lasting change, not just some temporary behavior modification. Those are called New Year's resolutions, all right? We're looking for something that seems to be elusive, but it's lasting change, change that sticks, that it stands the test of time and the pressures of life. And that change comes from the inside out. God created a spirit, soul, and body. And as we align those things according to His will and under His design, it's only then that we can experience change from the inside out that lasts. Many times we fail because we approach this idea of change because we try to work outside in. It's not how God designed us. So in this series, week one, we talked about realigning the heart. Focusing our heart on what matters most, and that is our Lord and Savior. In week two, we talked about letting God change your perspective. Remember, God called Moses up the mountain, not down, because when we change our perspective and see things how God sees them, it changes the way we think about them. And so this week, we're going to talk about reframing our time. Reframing our time. If you're ready, say yeah. yeah. Jeremiah 29, 11, it's our key verse for this series. 29, 13 rather, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You know, a number of years ago, I had a reconstructive hip surgery and 
After the surgery, they sent me to a very nice facility with some very kind professionals in it. They're called physical therapists. Do I have any physical therapists in the room today? All right, good. I'll be kind. Um, I affectionately renamed my physical therapist the physical terrorist. You know what I'm talking about? You've been there before. She made me do some excruciatingly painful things. Now, she knew that if I listened, it would be to my benefit, but it was really, really painful. That's a different message, by the way. Somebody that knows what they're doing and pushes you outside of your comfort zone. It's not today's message. And I remember this one particular exercise, my physical terrorist, uh, therapist, she, she gave me a BOSU ball. Anybody know what a BOSU ball is? Okay, it's flat, and on the other side is half of a bouncy ball. And she turned it upside down where the bouncy side was on the ground and the flat side was on top. And she said, I want you to crawl on it now, stand on one leg. And I can't even do it on one leg here in flat ground. And she said, I want you to take dumbbells and you're going to do a single leg Romanian deadlift balancing on the half bouncy side. I'm convinced this is an ancient derivative of some torture device, okay? I'm also convinced that she dreamed up this exercise for her own comedic relief because I looked ridiculous. I crawled on that thing, and I was on, and then I was off. I said, okay, well, I can do this. I'm, I'm capable, and I crawled on, and I, and I was off. I was on, and I was off. Okay, try to pick up the dumbbells now, and now maybe if I get on with the dumbbells, it's better. I get on. Now I fall, but dumbbells go flying everywhere. I think I hit some guy. I feel bad. And so that, nothing I did worked because I kept getting on and off. I looked like a baby giraffe that just came out of the mother's womb. I didn't know what to do with my legs. Everything was wild. Like, it was ridiculous. And the physical therapist called me aside. She said, you're thinking about this thing all wrong. You're thinking that you got to get on the BOSU or you fall off. You're on or you're off. And, and in your mind, it's a decision. You're either on or you're off. She said, but listen, think about it like this. When you get on, it's about leaning in to the counterweight. And it's about shifting your focus and moving your weight to be able to counterbalance yourself. It's not on or off. It's a series of rebalancing. And her one piece of counsel changed the way I thought about the exercise. So my hope today is that for the next few minutes together, I just want to challenge you from Scripture about how you're thinking about managing your time. I want to help you reframe how you think about it, because when you change the way you think about it, it will change what you do with it. You know, we are really raised to believe that this idea of balance will help many of our problems in life. It'll make us happier. It'll make the people around us happier. If we can just achieve some sort of glorious balance, right? Think about it. There's yin and yang. There's work hard and play hard. There's, you've heard this, work-life balance, yeah? And we're taught that our life is like a series of buckets, right? So we've got our, we've got our marriage bucket, and we've got our school bucket, and we have our work bucket. We got our money bucket and our friends bucket and our kids bucket. We got the church bucket. We've got the in-laws bucket. We're going to move that one over here. We've got all these buckets. And if we can just achieve balance in all of them and keep the water level right, 
then we'll be happier. And so, you know, my marriage is in the tank, and so let me balance it, and I'll pour a little bit from my work bucket in there. And Okay, we're more balanced. This is better. I'm at, uh-oh, I've sprung a leak in my kid's bucket. They're not listening. They're misbehaving. Let me, let me try to balance it. I'll take a little out of the fun bucket, and I'll, I'll repurpose. Oh, now my marriage is really suffering, and so uh, I've, I've taken too much. Let me put some from the church bucket in there, and I'll balance out my time. This is better. I'm balanced. I think I've got it. How exhausting, right? I refuse to accept this idea of balance because it is, it is a binary concept. It, it tells me that less of one is more of the other and less of the other is more of one, and I refuse to accept that because I was saved by a God that doesn't think in linear terms. He says, I'm the Alpha and Omega. I'm the beginning and the end and everything in between, not either or. I'm a God that says, he says, the last will be first and the first will be last. It doesn't make sense. He's a God that says, if you give your first fruits, your first 10% of what I've blessed you with, I'll turn that around and give you 100% of what you need and then some. It's unfathomable. God doesn't think in linear terms like you and I. God says his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God doesn't think about a few fish and some loaves of bread as a meal for a kid. He thinks about it as enough to feed 5,000 people and have 12 baskets left over just to prove a point. My God doesn't make me choose between good, two good things. He says, it's not this pie. I want to expand your horizon and show you a bigger one. And I refuse to accept this idea of balance. And so we're going to explore what the biblical alternative to balance is. But first, let's go through why balance is a myth. Let me just tell you this. If, if you spend your life trying to balance all of these buckets, you will be exhausted. And you might actually lose everything trying. Balance, number one, convinces us that we don't have enough time. If you try to balance all of these things, you are convinced that you don't have enough time. If you could have 25 hours in the day, you might be able to achieve balance, but there just isn't enough time to manage all of this. It's a lie. I had a mentor tell me one day, he said, there's three things that you can do with your time. You can spend it, you can waste it, or you can invest it. And if you do the former two, no wonder you're exhausted all the time. And no wonder things are slipping through your hands. Like you can't achieve everything. It's a lie that you don't have enough time. Number two, balance causes us to compartmentalize our lives. God created you spirit, soul, and body as an integrated being. He did not create you as a person with 10 buckets to manage. You're not a series of rooms and splintered, fractured pieces that you've got to piece together to make a life out of. No, no, no. You're an integrated being. God did it on purpose for a purpose. You're not compartmentalized. You're one person, and you're perfect. But balance would lead you to believe that you've got different buckets, different rooms that you've got to manage. And lastly, number three, balance leaves us unfulfilled in the present. If you are spending the now trying to manage the water level in all the buckets, you will not be able to see the forest for the trees. You can't step back and with a little bit of perspective appreciate everything that God has placed in your life right now, everything he's blessed you with right now. 
you're trying to balance, you'll be wholly unfulfilled. It's no wonder because you can't see the goodness of God in its entirety. Balance isn't biblical. And so by now you must be saying, I get it, Matt. I've got your point. Balance is a bad idea. So what's the alternative? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Let's go to King Solomon. King Solomon in the Old Testament, for a little bit of context, he's taking over for his father, King David. Mighty big shoes to fill. Solomon's got enemies on all sides. He's trying to maintain unity with the tribes of Israel. He's trying to grow the nation of God. There is a lot going on in Solomon's world. King Solomon could have asked for anything when God said, Solomon, I'm going to honor your father by allowing you to ask for anything you, you want. What is it? Now, Solomon could have asked for the defeat of all the enemies around him. He could have asked for more money. He could have asked for more time. He could have asked for all kinds of things, but he didn't. In 2 Chronicles 1.10, this is what Solomon asked for. Give me the wisdom and knowledge to lead them properly. For who could possibly govern this great people of yours? The scripture goes on to say, God responded by saying, because you asked for wisdom to lead my people, I'll give you that and everything else that you could have asked for. You see, Solomon knew that it's not about always choosing right and wrong. Those decisions are true. Sometimes there's five rights and we got to choose one of them. And it's not that all the other things that Solomon could have asked for were bad, but he recognized that for all those other things to even, even be able to flourish or have meaning, he needed to start with wisdom. So he asked God for wisdom. Now Solomon, second to Jesus, the wisest man that walked the face of the earth, and he lays out a roadmap for the biblical alternative to balance. He writes it in Ecclesiastes 3.1. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. To everything there is a season. When you look at your life through the lens of a season, you don't have to do all the things. You just have to do the right things for that season. It's not about managing everything that's going on. No, no. It's about doing the right thing right now that God has called you to do in this season. And it changes the way we think about how we spend this season. The biblical alternative to balance is seasons. Number one, some thoughts for you. God has given you everything you need in this season. We spend a lot of time chasing what we think we need to achieve balance, but God has given you absolutely everything you need right now. The finances that you need for this season, they're there. Are we good stewards of them? I don't know. That's a question. The people that you need to challenge you and draw you out of your comfort zone, the people to provide um, encouragement to you, they're in this season of your life. Are you looking for them? The people that God wants you to be a blessing to, to challenge, to build community and spiritual family with, they're in your life right now. Are you looking for them? God has given you everything you need in this season. Number two, in every season, you only have one life. You don't have 10 buckets to manage. You just have one life. And it includes everything. 
By the way, don't look at the past seasons. Don't look back to yesterday. That's not where you're headed. You're headed a different direction. And don't worry about some hypothetical season that you're trying to author. That's not even reality yet. What I can tell you is you're in this season right now, spirit, soul, and body, and God has given you everything you need. It's one life. How are you using it right now? Number three, you can live each day fulfilled. You can live each day fulfilled. You hear people say, tomorrow will be better. No, it won't. Because tomorrow, there's another tomorrow. And there's one after that. No, no. Tomorrow, everything won't be better. You can live today fulfilled. When you take a step back and get a little perspective and recognize that God has given you everything you need, and it's incredible, and you can actually be fulfilled and thankful for the blessings that you do have in life in this season. You can live each day fulfilled. You see, with balance, the traditional sense of balance that we grew up being taught, learning, you're a slave to your circumstances. There's external forces at play and people are making decisions and treating you in a way that impacts you and your family. Those are circumstances you can't control that. But with the idea of seasons, you are a result right now of your choices and your priorities. You see, you can't change your circumstances. I, you can't change the, where you were born or the family you were born in. You can't change any of that. What you can change are your choices and the priorities that you have right now. This idea, this principle of, of seasons is driven by the principle of seed time and harvest. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. Seed time and harvest. Galatians 6 verse 7 says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. This is an immutable law of God. I, whether you choose to believe it and exercise it or ignore it and say and refute it, it's as true as gravity. You will reap what you plant right now. You will grow what you put in the ground. It is a law that is as unavoidable as gravity. It's true from cover to cover in the Word of God. And you hear the half-truth sometimes. People say, well, my future isn't determined by your past. Uh, that's half-true, actually. Your future isn't determined by your past. You know why? Because of the grace of God. It interrupts that cycle. The past decisions you've made, maybe they were bad ones. It's okay. It doesn't determine where you're going to land tomorrow because the grace of God is good. But you know what? Where you are today is a function of the decisions you made yesterday. And the choices you're making today, they absolutely will determine where you land tomorrow. That's true. And so we're going to talk about choices today and what we reap in the future. Here's the principle. You reap from the past and you sow to the future. You reap from the past and you sow to the future. What you do right now is all about your priorities and how you spend your time. You see, you came thinking we're going to talk about time management. We're going to talk about priority management. I got a new policy with the uh, Super Bowl, like who's invited to my house to watch the Super Bowl? <clears throat> Here's the policy. Nobody's invited. <laughs> All right? You know why nobody's invited? It's because everyone wants to talk during the game and be quiet during the commercials. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. I want to watch the game. So the new policy is, I got a priority on watching the football. You can't come. All right? That's just it. 
Now listen, that's my priority. I've drawn some boundaries around it, okay, so to protect that priority. But here's the deal. Some of us have cleared boundaries around our football watching priority than we have around our time with God. Some of us have drawn clearer boundaries around a boy's night out or a weekend away with the girls than we have about date night with our spouse or time with our kids. I'm going to back up a little bit. It changes the way you think about life when you reframe it. And think about a, a season in life and the seed time and harvest and sowing to the future and how you've laid priorities today to be able to experience and realize the future that God has for you. It changes the way we think. You know, on the topic of boundaries, when I think about laying priorities out and drawing boundaries around those priorities, you know, the Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. How do you know what to say no to if you haven't drawn a boundary around the things that are important? How do you know what to say yes to and pour yourself into and invest and capitalize on opportunities if you haven't defined a priority, drawn a boundary around it, and say that's absolutely what God has called me to do in this season right now? Let your yes be yes and your no be no, but to do that wisely, you got to establish priorities and draw a boundary around it and ruthlessly protect those priorities. So what do you do? Your job stinks, your marriage is hurting, your kids aren't listening. School's going terrible. I would offer that uh, James 1.5 has a little something to say about this. He says, if you need wisdom, and we are on wisdom again, you could ask for a hundred right things, but let's ask for the most right thing. It's wisdom. James 1.5 says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. By the way, wisdom today for right now, the season here, it, it may not be practical or applicable or good wisdom for tomorrow's season, okay? We look at the children of Israel when they were wandering in the desert. You remember God was providing manna from heaven every day for them to keep them alive from day to day? But he warned them. He said, don't try to store more manna than you need today because what happens to tomorrow, what happens to today's manna tomorrow? It's rotten. And people didn't believe, they were worried about tomorrow. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough things to manage. And so let me collect today's manna and let me collect tomorrow's manna. But today's manna tomorrow is rotten. You need new wisdom tomorrow. Your seasons change. And with that comes a different direction and a new wisdom. So what we've done for the last few minutes is hopefully challenge the way you think about time. It's not about balance. It's not a binary decision. You're not on the BOSU ball or off the BOSU ball. It's more about setting priorities. Depending on the season you're in, what you want to sow today to harvest tomorrow, it's about reframing how you approach it. And so in the remaining time we have, I want to go through some practical ways that, that we can do this week to be able to, now that we've reframed how we think about time, some actual things we can do to be able to manage it a little better. We're going to start in Psalms 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Your days are numbered. I don't know what the number is. I know that you have one less today than you did tomorrow, yesterday. 
Your days are numbered. And, and so really the question is, if you know that your days are numbered, are you asking God for wisdom for how to best utilize and maximize the days you do have left? You see, time is your most valuable and non-renewable resource. You aren't getting any more of it. You're just not. And so let's seek some practical wisdom for how to do it better. Luke 14, 28 says, don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? So before you begin, let's count the cost. Here's some practical things we can do this week. Number one, look ahead to see what's coming. Look ahead. I, well, I'm going to let you in on a revelation, okay? Christmas is coming in December. I, it just is, okay? It's February. I know it feels early. I'm just telling you, it's coming in December, okay? December 25th, to be precise. Now, a few years ago, as I started to have kids, I kind of got sick of being surprised when Christmas came around. It felt like there was a flurry of activity, and I was like, oh, I'm unprepared, and I don't have enough money in the bank for all these presents that these kids want. Like, ah, what am I going to do? And so, you know what we started doing is, in January, we started looking ahead, and Lisa and I opened up a separate savings account. It's labeled Christmas Savings. And every 1st and 15th of the month, a few dollars go into that account automatically. It's not much, but it happens without fail twice a month for 11 months. And you know what happens? Because I've looked ahead and we've planned this out and we're tired of being surprised by the things that always happen, now I'm not surprised because when it comes Christmas time, I've looked ahead to what I knew was coming in January. Look ahead. Your priorities should determine where you place your energy. Your priorities should determine where you place your energy. You know, I really only need to see a couple of things to know where your priorities actually are. Where you spend your money and where you spend your time. I, you can say whatever your priorities are. I just need to see where you spend your time and I'll tell you what your priorities are. Your priorities should determine where you invest your energy. And make lists. There's a great book called Checklist Manifesto. It talks about the simplicity but powerful act of making lists. I live by a calendar and checklist. It's just how I operate. It's how I organize myself. I also really enjoy, it's very satisfying when I make a list and my priorities at the top. And as I begin my day or my week or my month, I get to cross things off of that list. It feels very good. Make lists. It helps me audit what I say I need to do and what I'm actually doing. Make lists. It's simple, but I'm trying to give you something practical you can do. Number two, plan your week before your week. Plan your week. Next week is coming, okay? There it is. So plan it before you get there. You know, there's some folks in here, their morning routines are like as unpredictable as an earthquake. You know what I mean? Like the alarm goes off and there's like this fit of activity and like, it's like a surprise that the sun came up and we got to get ready for work or the kids off. The, it's, it's as unpredictable as earthquakes. I don't understand it. You know it's coming, so plan it out. Okay, I'm moving on. All right. <clears throat> Front load your week. Front load your week. Mark Twain is credited with saying this, but he said, if you have to eat a frog, it's best to do it first thing in the morning. And if you have to eat two frogs, 
eat the bigger one first. Now, I'm not telling you to go out and eat frogs, unless it's at Beast Feast, in which case fried frog legs are really good. What I am telling you is that when you front load your week or you front load your day, here's what I mean. Do the hard stuff early. Why? Because when you do the hard stuff early in your week or early in your day, you have the margin, the time, the energy, the bandwidth to be able to orient on life when it happens and present something you didn't plan on. Do the hard stuff early. Front load your week. Do the difficult stuff early in the day. And you will be amazed at how it arranges the rest of you. You'll have all kinds of time and energy to be able to focus on some other things and the unexpected things. Work big to small. Work big to small. There's an old analogy, you know, if I had a glass container up here, I would put the big rocks, the really important things in first. And then I would have room to put smaller rocks in. And then I could fill in all the spaces between with some sand. If I work small to big and I prioritize the sand first, it goes in. There's no room left for the big stuff. My priorities are misaligned. Big stuff goes first. When you sit down and plan next week, the really important things, the priorities for this season in life, they go on the calendar first. Date night, first thing that goes on my calendar. It's really important. Work big to small. You know, the uh, Admiral McRaven, he was a former U.S. Special Operations Command uh, commanding general. He was giving a commencement address down the street here at the University of Austin. And he told the graduating class, he said, if you want to change the world, start by making your bed in the morning. And I love that. Because his point is, start the day with a task complete. When you get up, do something and check it off the list, and you're headed in the right direction. You want to change the world, make your bed. That's what I tell my kids, too. Minus the change the world part, I just said make your bed. Number three, audit your time. Audit your time. Okay, live by the calendar. Make a calendar. How do you know where you should spend your time if you're not putting it on a thing that actually helps us organize time? It's called a calendar, okay? Live by the calendar. Put the big rocks on there first. Fill in the rest of the available time with the smaller rocks or maybe even the sand, but live by it. It will help you audit your time. Here's where I think I need to spend my week, and at the end, here's where I actually spent my week. I wonder what would happen if I followed you around for a day and cataloged every minute of every activity. What if we wrote a book that had that in it? What would I find? How many minutes do you spend sleeping? How many minutes do you spend on a morning routine or lack thereof? How many minutes do you spend drinking coffee, scrolling social media, commuting, talking with friends, at work? Now, I'm not going to audit your time, but you can. You can determine how you actually spend every available minute in a day. And I would encourage you, take a day and do it. And you will be alarmed at just how much time is slipping through your fingers because you haven't established priorities for today's season. And lastly, work to rest here. Work to rest. You know, God did not take a nap and then start creation. It was the other way around. He laid the blueprint for how we should go about this thing of work. You work 
to rest, not rest to work. You see, a lot of us are walking around and we're praying like it all depends on God. No, it actually depends on us too. Because if you want God to do the super, you got to do the natural. It's just the principle of how it goes. Work to rest. Put your hands and your mind to something meaningful and work to rest. You don't need another nap. You need to work. Then you can nap. The last few moments we have together, I don't know what season you're in, but there's three things you should do in every season. Maybe you're in a season of life where you're a young parent, you got littles at the house. God bless you. We'll pray for you, okay? Maybe you're in a season where you're a young person, maybe entering the workforce, starting a new career. It's a special season that requires some different priorities. Maybe you're older and you have recently retired. Maybe you're approaching retirement. It's a different season. No matter what season you're in right now, here's three things you can do in all of them. Number one, accept your season and be honest. Why are you where you are? Take an honest inventory of that. Because we talked about this immutable law of God. You are where you are because of what you planted yesterday. So just be honest about it. Accept your season. And if you're in a bad place because of some bad decisions, it's okay because the goodness of God allows us to repent and say, God, I've made bad decisions. I lay it at your feet. I'm going to go a different direction starting right now. But you don't know a different direction unless you take inventory of where you actually are and then decide, I need something different. Be honest. Number two, own your season. Change your attitude. Own your season. Change your attitude. I love this analogy of airplanes. You know, the attitude of an airplane is the degree that the nose of the aircraft is relative to the plane of the earth. And when you increase the attitude, you increase the altitude. Stop blaming other people for where you are. That may sound harsh. Don't whine about it. Stand where you are. Own it. And say, God, change my attitude about where I am right now because I'm, I'm reaping what I sowed yesterday, but, but I'm going to plant something new in the ground today because I know you're taking me somewhere better. Number three, work your season. Make the most of your time. It is the only unrenewable resource you have. You've got to maximize it. Work your season. If you've planted anything, you know there's different seasons. There's a sowing season, what you put in the ground. There's a reaping season where you harvest what you planted. But there's something that happens in between. you got to work that ground. you got to put your hands to it. Sometimes it's hard. It's dirty work sometimes. But I'm just telling you, we've worked that season. You ask God for new wisdom in that season. You line out your priorities, draw boundaries around them, and say, those are the first things going on my calendar. I'm just telling you, you're going to reap something you never thought was fathomable. Because God is good. And I want you to remember, no matter what season you're in, you may be going through a really rough season right now. And if that's you, I want you to know that the only way that you lose is if you quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. The way you win is you hang in there and you ask God for some strength today. That is, it's beyond you, but don't quit. God's taking you somewhere better. You got to squeeze the potential out of every available minute. I also want you to remember that 
as you're working that season. You've planted some new decisions. You've made one better decision today than you did yesterday. You're working that ground. I want you to remember that it's not always about you either. It's about the people around you too. God has called us into spiritual community. And so remember that it's okay to work that season and be a blessing to others because you're going to reap a benefit that you never thought was possible by helping somebody in your life sow a better seed today. Galatians 6, 9 says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. God, it can be tiresome sometimes. Don't get tired of doing what is good. Doing the thing that God has called you to do, don't get tired. Because at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Hang in there. Don't give up. Squeeze the potential out of every minute God has blessed you with. And you're going to see a harvest on the other side of this, a new season that you never thought was possible. But you've got to change today by reprioritizing some things that God has called you to reprioritize. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, for your word. God, I pray that as we've explored the reframing of how you want us to think about time, that you would speak to someone here today to help them maximize the principle of seasons and seed time and harvest. God, help us to make good decisions today that we will will reap tomorrow. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, there may be some in here that say, Matt, you read that scripture about not getting tired, but I'm tired. I'm weary. And I would offer to you today, it might be because your priorities are misaligned and you keep chasing this unattainable thing of balance. Maybe you're not identifying and owning the season you're in. Of course you're exhausted. You're weary. Today's all about taking inventory and realigning our priorities. I'm going to ask you a very simple question because the most important priority that you can establish is whether or not you're right with God, whether or not you've accepted Jesus Christ at the center of your life as your Lord and Savior. So my question to you this morning is very simple. No one's looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you. I won't call you forward or do anything like that. But I will ask you this question. Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you put him at the center of your life? Is he the number one priority? If that's you today, you say, no, I haven't. But today I want to make a decision to follow God. I want to make a decision to put him at the center and make him the priority. If that's you, I'm just going to ask you, slip your hand up real quick and right back down. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You are not the only one. There are hands going up all across this room. Thank you. I see that hand in the back. Thank you. Nobody's looking around. It's between me, you, and God, but more importantly, you're raising your hand, acknowledging, God, I am going to make a change today. And so a moment longer, you know, the Bible tells us that every single one of us have fallen short of the glory of God. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. But the good news is the Bible says if we'll confess with our mouth that he's God, that he died on the cross and he was raised from the dead, we believe in our heart that we'll be saved. It's the greatest gift that was ever given to mankind and it's yours for the taking. Anyone else? In just a moment, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. It's a very simple prayer. In fact, 
the prayer really has nothing to do with it. It's the what's in your heart behind the words that you're going to say. And I'm going to ask everyone in this room to repeat this prayer after me. We want to encourage every person that's making the decision today to put God as the number one priority and put him at the center of their life. Let's all pray this together. Dear Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner, but today I turn to you. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you came to earth. You lived a perfect life. You died on the cross for my sins and you were raised from the dead. Come into my heart. Lead me and guide me. Show me what's next. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate those decisions today.